You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Once again, to the mud bugs for playing us in, we are the Sneaky Good Podcast, and I am your host, Poser. With me, as always, my producer, Chris. Hello. Say hi, Chris. Hello, Chris. There we go. Going for the hello, Gracie joke. And joining us from the great wild north, there is Seth. It's very civilized here, actually. <laughs> well, the, the great wild north is the, uh, you know, what was it, um, Bob McKenzie from... Uh, um, Second City. They had the big map, the Great White North. Look, I know it's a Canadian reference, but it's still pre nineteen ninety five. So I understand that John Candy is dead. All right. <laughs> Thanks for making us feel old again, Seth. Yeah, I know Rick <laughs> Moranis hasn't appeared in a movie like in fifteen years or something like that, but they're still kind of famous. You know, it's. Uh, hey, I saw. I shook hands. It was really funny. You should watch it. Sometime. The tall guy. I, I shook hands with the Kevin McDonald. Yeah, Kevin McDonald. Okay, that's that's kids in the hall. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> also Ooh. funny. Uh, uh, Stummies, truly a funny bit. Um, <laughs> all I need to kill your son is uh, quiet shoes and a good reason. <laughs> I got plenty of reason. And look, moccasins. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And also uh, joining us from Maryland. Oh right? uh, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> uh, home to not SCTV is Jake. <laughs> yeah, wait. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Just how's it going there, Jake? I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah, we're celebrating that we have a Heisman winner. Yeah, I, I had heard uh, that. I heard your travels. Uh, yeah, through your travels. <laughs> um. <laughs> On the on the internet, I on yeah. The internet, I the internet, I yeah. Wow, it's it's amazing. I think on the internet. Actually, Burrow winning the Heisman was one of those foregone conclusions, and he wins it by I think the biggest margin in Heisman history, beating a record set by O.J. Simpson, which I'm sure makes the Heisman people very happy to have that name mentioned. <laughs> I tweeted what when they he he broke one of O.J.'s records, like the biggest margin, and then he. Broke Troy Smith's record for like like highest percentage of first place votes, I think. Yeah. And like yeah. when I like I quote tweeted that, someone replied to me is like, "I hope his career goes better than Troy Smith and his life goes better than OJ." <laughs> It'd be hard not to at this point. <laughs> so yeah, if Joe Burrow, if the Hurts people come calling and offer you a commercial, just run, just run. You don't you don't want to, you're on the wrong path. And don't run through the Hurts. Parking yeah, lot or the airport, airport or anything like that. <laughs> Just run away. You can't run, you can't run through the airport. That's, that's also bad. Okay, Jake and Seth, there was a 
famous TV commercial in which O.J. Simpson ran. Yeah, to the see, I was, to I was about to say, you went all the way back again. <laughs> yeah, he ran to the Hertz counter. It was, <laughs> he left over the Hertz counter. If there's, if there's one thing people of all ages know about it, it's it's OJ Simpson. And that's that's like has, has I think touched like every corner of. I'm glad that right off the bat we can compare Joe Burrow. To, we can <laughs> choose general. any Heisman winner to compare him to, and we're going straight to OJ. Like that's. <laughs> I mean, you know, Earl Campbell, <laughs> uh, Billy Sims. Andre Ware was on the stage. It was always cool to see. You know, like uh, uh, Danny Werfel, who lit us up like a Christmas tree. I, I think Tebow, in a weird way, he has a lot in common with Tebow. Like, I think they're both, you know, real guys who, early on in their career at least, got by a lot on grit and inspiration. I think Burrow has more just raw ability. But Tebow was a pretty great athlete as well. But it was cool to see him, like, on stage with, like, all of those legends kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't like, see the ceremony, so I didn't see who had the most hilarious outfit. Which oh, is Billy, like, Billy Sims. It's, it's not yeah, close. Sure. Always, yeah, always the funnest part. Always the funnest part of the high ceremony is seeing who has the like just the most ridiculous outfit. It's it's really weird because it's kind of by era. Like the seventies guys are fairly oh, obnoxious. Yeah. The eighties guys are kind of on point. And then, like, the 90s guys are just kind of bland, and then you get crazy again in the aughts. So, like, you have crazy old and crazy young, and then in the middle, they're all just kind of, you know, just wearing a nice suit. We're all yeah, sensible. Like, I feel like, Those like, of us I feel like Danny Warhol showing up in, like, a shirt, just, like, like a button down. Like, I feel like that's happened. Like, some of those dudes. But, yeah, like, Burrow now has, you know, one of the greatest passing seasons in collegiate history, and... Does the Heisman matter to you? I think yeah. it. I didn't want. I didn't think it would matter, but I, I watched it. You know, we all watched it, knowing that he was going to win. But then when they called his name, I still kind of did a nice fist pump. So it still. I didn't think it was going to mean anything, and then when it happened, it meant something. Now it's over, though. Like it's not. It's not something that I'm carrying with me as a fan for uh, for any time past Saturday night. But it was really nice when it happened. You know, it it showed what we we've seen the whole year that he was the best quarterback in in LSU's history, and you know he might have had the best season in in uh, for a quarterback in college football history. So, just validates it what we've seen for a long time. Yeah, I, I care about. That. I know, like, there's a group of people among like the college football internet that hates the Heisman and like doesn't think it matters at all, mostly because Indomitian Sue didn't win ten years ago. That is a good reason, by the way. And Dominican Sue was pretty awesome. Yes, he should have. Yes, yeah, that's fair. I know Sue should have won. Like it, it should have happened. And there have also been other defensive players who, you know, should have gotten more recognition. Like I think Chase Young probably should have finished second this year, as opposed to finishing fourth. Um, but still, though, it is the most prestigious award in college sports. It's and maybe in sports in general, it's perhaps the most like iconic award that you can really win and for the most part they do get it right in my in my opinion there have been some years where they have kind of flubbed it but for the most part i think they get it right and you know i mean you think about the names that have won it cam newton johnny Manziel, tebow ricky williams charles woodson warful obviously desmond howard barry sanders bo jackson these are like 
like the most iconic names in college football history. And now Joe Burrow is a part of that. And whatever you may think about it, people don't really care about the Maxwell Award, but they do care about the Heisman. And, you know, that's that's the big one. And Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons the Heisman... The fact that he won it, I mean, like, with that's what I cared about, like, was... Was, I knew he was going to win it, but was like, could he really break like the record for most, to get the most first place votes ever, the most total votes? Because I, mean, I knew he wasn't going to win unanimously because that's like never going to happen. But God darn, he came close. He had like, all, he got all but like 50 something votes. And he had the most lopsided Heisman win ever. And that's, you know, for a long, long time. I mean, I think the Heisman matters mainly for the reason that a lot of the internet hates it. Because I think the Heisman committee or the voters, whatever it is, they don't just look at numbers. They do look at narrative. And, you know, it, there's a certain element of who was the most important player of the year. Like, if I was telling the story of this season, what player would I use? And that drives a lot of data people nuts. I actually think it's better because historically that tends to play better because when you look back in time, I want the guy with the best story, not necessarily the best numbers because I can always look up numbers, but if it's easier to say, Oh, well this guy was legendary and people knew it at the time. And I think that's what is cool about the Heisman. And also it's, that's why it's so important for LSU to have a winner because we've kind of always been on the outside looking in of the true blue, blue bloods. And it's definitely a, it's an award for blue bloods. I mean, there have been guys who have snuck in from outside like Barry Sanders, you know, when he was at Oklahoma state, but I mean, he had like just an insane year. I mean, he was the greatest college running back ever, or like, you know, you have Andre Ware, but again, Andre Ware had to do just ridiculous things in order to, you know, win the Heisman. It, it's an award that's normally won by, you know, someone from Alabama or USC or Ohio State. It's the same schools show up again and again and again when you look at the winners. And LSU's been outside of that club for 60 years. And, yeah, you're not going to expect to – I don't think it's suddenly going to be a parade of LSU winners. But it's nice to be in that club. So, I, it, yes, it's an award for Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow had an outstanding year one of the best passing seasons ever, but it's also an award for LSU. It's an award that shows that LSU football matters from a sense of college football. Yeah. And I'm okay with it being a, a narrative award. Like it's, we can give, you know, if PFF wants to give their quarterback of the year award based on analytics, that's fine too. They're allowed to do that. Right. But the Heisman is always going to be this thing that, kind of cements someone's folklore rather than cements their just overall stats. And that's fine. Like we can have both. It's not the end of the world. Now, if this had gone the other way and for, and you know, they gave it to the LSU didn't came, come out on the winning side of this, then maybe I feel different. I'm sure, but it worked out for LSU. It's fine that it's a, that it's a, a kind of a, like I said, a folkloric award and it matched up this year because Joe Burrow's stats were unworldly, and his and he he was the story of college football. Yeah, and really, also like no one had numbers like he had this year. He he really put away the field. the The only thing I felt bad about for this year's award, I, I think 
you touched on it with, you know, maybe Chase Young should have been a finalist. But also, I think Jonathan Taylor not being one of the finalists was just kind of mean. He finished fifth. You can have up to five people. So there's no reason that he couldn't have been on the stage. And Jonathan Taylor had a great career. He rushed, I think, for like 6,000 yards. He had 2,000 yards. As he, and also, he was the only running back. It, it would have been nice to just throw him a bone because it would have meant a lot to him. And I know like how LSU has traditionally looked at this award. It would have meant a lot to Wisconsin fans just for him yeah. to be part of that hype package for an hour. Yeah, for sure. And it, look, if Eric Crouch can win the Heisman based on a career, then Jonathan Taylor should be a, at least a finalist based on a career. Though Eric Crouch was awesome in college. I mean, no, but that's what I'm saying. So just, yeah. just like, just like Taylor, but like that one year, I don't know if you, I have to go back and look, but in 2001, I believe, was he the best player in college? I mean, probably not, but Nebraska. Yeah. Was just, 2001, yeah. 2001 is the weirdest Heisman year ever. Bryant McKinney was an old lineman and got 26 first place votes. <laughs> wow. Seriously, that's one. It's like Antoine Randall out, who's low key just amazing, awesome college player, who like was a punter too, some, <laughs> along with being a quarterback. Um, but yeah, hey, they should always have five finalists. That's one thing they should always do. It's, it's to me, it's like there's no reason not to. Like, what you don't you don't lose anything by having five finalists. So why don't you just take five? Like, that's one. Yeah. Thing should, that's one thing I think they should always do is, you know. Also, it's five. just. It's just nice. Yeah. You know? like, it's, what do you lose by in, like inviting, letting people hang out in New York for like a weekend? Uh, really nothing. I think there's a, there's a balance with stats and narrative to me to some degree. You know, it's like when Keenan Reynolds was a finalist, mostly because of that it was a really cool story. Was it cool? Yes. But it's like then you had Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook who were incredible running backs who had amazing careers, who didn't get invited because we took the good quarterback from Navy. Sometimes I think there's a balance there kind of with that that needs to be achieved. Like, you should award players for forming as well. So it's like sometimes I think you, when you take the narrative over the, at, you know, over the production, you, you know, ignore kind of recognizing players who had amazing seasons. So I think, you know, that's kind of an issue. And yeah, I think for the most part, they get the right winner on I mean, that. I think there's maybe been like two years going to like out of the last 10 or whatever, where they really got it wrong. It obviously the two years I gave it to an Alabama running back. But. Yeah. I mean, you look at it like what's, what's a bad award they've given. And like the last two years went to the Oklahoma quarterbacks, you know, that I think very justifiably for both of them, Lamar Jackson. Okay. Derrick Henry, you know, we're an LCU thing. So we're just never going to, um, Mariota was incredible. Jameis Winston, I think he was kind of a runaway winner. Johnny Manziel, Robert Griffin, they weren't Cam Newton in 2010. I think this decade, it's been bang on pretty much all of them. I think when the worst award you've given is Derrick Henry, and Derrick Henry was still a really good college running back, you've done pretty well as an award. It, it, it's not like they've they've botched it. I think it's some of those like we're descent, desensitized to stats, you know, in a lot of ways, like. Like, I thought Jalen Hurts, like, finishing second was wrong. And then it's like, and Jalen Hurts threw for 3,600 yards and rushed for 1,200. <laughs> like, like yeah. that's ridiculous. That's that's amazing. You know, I mean, that, so, like, it's last year, I think, when, when Kyler won it, you know, Alabama fans were kind of upset about that to some degree. 
because they thought two was the best player. I mean, perhaps it was. It's like Kyler Murray had 5,300 total yards and like over 40, 50 touchdowns. Like, that's a ridiculous season. Yeah, I think last year could have gone either way. Uh, um, Yeah, and some of it was, you know, narrative too, because Tua kind of faded a bit at the end and Kyler pushed Oklahoma into the playoff. Yeah, I think that's exactly. I think the championship games are what cost them. But I'm, the only thing that to me is going to get interesting is in the playoff era. It's only been one time that it's been gone to someone who hasn't been in the playoff, and that was when Lamar Jackson won it. And Lamar Jackson sort of had it clinched for by midway of the season because he was already at like twenty five hundred pass yards, thousand rush yards in October. Or and like I don't know when if we're going to see something like that again where a player who isn't in the playoff is going to win it. And while most of the time I think the best player is on the best team, there are cases where, you know, RG3 won it on a three-loss Baylor. Tebow won it. Tebow won at Florida only won nine games. That was, you know, even if, I mean, when he won, it wasn't on, you know, one of Florida's. Yeah, but that was more of a career award. But yeah, like I, I do see that. Like it's, I hope it does not become an award just for playoff teams. That yeah, would be like, a shame. I, the last couple of years, has there been a case where someone who wasn't in the playoffs should have won it? Not really. I mean, yeah. like Dwayne, Has- Dwayne Haskins last year, if it wasn't for Kyler and Tua, was totally worthy in Ohio State, was outside. But in the future, like if it does come up where there is a guy like Lamar Jackson again, or in a, you know, an RG3 or who knows, a, a Tebow even, something like that. Yeah, I hope that it's not, you don't get, you know, boxed out someone who isn't in, like Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I don't think Jonathan Taylor deserve to win it but he still had an amazing year and if it's a down year and there's Jonathan Taylor I hope that it like he isn't given to Jonathan Taylor because say Wisconsin is in the playoff or something like that yeah and it's look we're talking about a guy who finished fifth I mean at the end of the day that's it's a nice thing to have on your resume but it's not it doesn't matter at the end of the day there's only one winner that's yeah. the only vote that truly matters everyone else is like hey it'd be cool if he was a Heisman finalist but that's where I think you can kind of be like, oh, it'd be nice if you had a defensive player there. You know, you have a guy from not a traditional power. But I'd also want to see – I hope it doesn't just become for winners. Mm-hmm. LSU, Oklahoma, Alabama have been, you know, playoff teams. I hope this doesn't become this exclusionary thing where you have to carry your team to the playoff. The thing with defensive players to me is it's not that they should – like there are absolutely defensive players who should be included, but it's – Defensive players ultimately don't impact the game as much as QBs do. I know that like it's people sometimes don't like that and they are upset that it goes to like the best quarterback. But look, the quarterback's the guy who has the ball on every offensive play. The only defensive player to me that like you know, a Chase Young who's like an elite pass rusher, yeah, like I think that's the kind of guy to impact the game similar to a level of quarterback. Or a guy who plays either both ways or like a Tyron Matthew who forced tons of turnovers and literally changed the course of games based on his plays. Like, yeah, those guys really changed games. But it's Devin White was an amazing player last year, but Devin White wasn't going to impact the game the way Joe Burrow did this year. Like, a linebacker yeah. just isn't going to be. And also, like, quarterbacks have always mattered more than the rest of your team, but they have never mattered more than they matter right now. Just how the game has played in the last mm-hmm. five or six years. Quarterbacks who have always been the most important position on the field are now incredibly more important than the rest of the, the field. So, yeah. And that's probably where we might get like a 20, 25 year run where it's like 
18 out of 20 years as a quarterback. And that's that's fine because they really do change everything. The whole the whole offense runs through them. Uh, when you look at Barry Sanders, that whole offense ran through him. I mean, and that's when, why we had like in the 70s, it was always won by a running back. Right, exactly. That's just because how the game was. The game that's was fine. just yeah. Like, and I think it reflects what the game is. So you would like every so often someone else sneaks in there, but I mean, look, you know, running backs won it every year from 1973 to 1983. It's not, it's not a big deal. So, and we don't look back on those and go, wow, those were some bad awards. I mean, that's like Marcus Allen, Herschel Walker, Charles White, Billy Sims. I mean, we're talking the legends of the game kind of stuff. And I think 30 years from now, people will be talking about Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, the same way. Yeah, and yeah, we it's just it's a value conversation. Like I'm looking up to the, the 2009 uh, Huskers, and they weren't, they, you know, they were okay that year. So they were finished 10 and four. They started season three and three, and lost in the Big 12 championship game. If they had a great quarterback that year, they probably are not 10 and four. They happen to have a great three tech. Yeah. He was yeah. a great three tech, like one of the best that we've ever seen. But it didn't move the needle enough for him to be uh, a Heisman winner, the best player and the best, I guess that's also the other thing is how do we, is the best player? Yeah, I guess he was the best player, but he was definitely not the most valuable player. Well, and also it was like, it, it, for him, he came on late. Uh, I think what beco- what it becomes now with Ndam Kinsu so many years later is that we forget that most people didn't know who he was until the big 12 championship game. Yeah. Really plugged in college football fans knew, but I'm talking the, the general public didn't know until that game. And secondly, there wasn't like a runaway winner. I mean, Mark Ingram had a he had a good year, but it wasn't. But it also, if you look at the rest of the group, you know, Toby Gerhardt, Colt McCoy, and Tim Tebow in his freshman year. I mean, like no one else really just said, "Oh, no one sees the award." It wasn't like. It wasn't like this year where there was a Joe Burrow, and you're like, or like the next year there was Cam Newton. People wouldn't be having this conversation if it's Ndamukong Sue or Cam Newton. You give it to Cam Newton. Yeah. And so I think, I think part of the thing with Sue, he was so, – in that Texas game, he almost won it like by himself. That Texas offense was just so – scores 13 points because Sue has 12 tackles, six tackles for loss and four and a half sacks. I think, I think that was – Yeah, and those championship games have weighed heavily. We talk about value. Like, oh, my God, they can buy any of even the championship games are big. I mean, even though it was big for Sue, I mean, it was big last year. Kyler Murray probably won because of championship games. And that might just be a thing we see going forward in Heisman voting, that conference championship games are going to be more important because they're the, your they're your final argument, and they stick with writers. It, it's your closing statement. And it tends to be a really big, important game against a good opponent. So... And Joe Burrow had a great closing statement. He he destroyed Georgia and didn't look like he was working hard to do it. Right. Yeah. There's like a there's a smoothness to his pocket movement and his running ability that makes it look like he's not trying. God. So when he's you know it's obviously the thing he did on his number one Heisman moment when he gets around the first guy and that guy comes back for him and he makes him miss again. I mean, you try and do that. You, I can't do it. It's hard. But he just made, he's just he got some smoothness to him that it just makes it look so easy. 
Now, we've been talking a lot about the Heisman. And of course, it's the biggest award. But LSU won a bunch of other awards. I think Jamar Chase won the Blitnikoff, which I think was a surprise to no one. But in a surprise, uh, Grant Delpit won the Thorpe. Do you think that was kind of an LSU halo effect? Uh, it, it had to be. It, or it's like, you know, it's a career award then, that's, which is fine. Again, it's fine. If you want to make it a career award, that's fine because he's had a great career. He just didn't right. have a great 2019. I mean, you can make an argument. He was our third or fourth best defensive back this year. Yeah, I think so. Depending on how you classify Jacoby Stevens. See, I was going to say even depending how you classify Fulton. Oh, Fulton's a defensive back for sure. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think I think Jacoby is uh, for sure one of our top three guys with my thing is with you might Stingley. Yeah, my thing with Jacoby is you might call him a linebacker because he plays. Uh, okay, okay, fine. That's it's fine. like what position you put him at. But yeah, yeah I, I think Stingley, Fulton, Stevens, I think all had better years than Delpit. Yeah. I, I mean, last year, Delpit was clearly our best defensive player outside of Devin White. He just, you know, he was playing banged up this year, and I'm happy he won the award. It's good for, like, DBU purposes and things like that. But, yeah, it was it was a shock. I have to say, if I was a voting member for the Thorpe, which clearly I'm not, I would not have voted for Grant Delpit. But he was the best, def- I mean, he was the best defensive player in college football last year. No one put up, I mean, the stat, nine and a half tackles for lost five sacks and five picks is just preposterous kind of, you know, Stat line. I mean, to me, he was the best defensive player, and he didn't even get nominated for the biggest defensive player award, like the Bednarik. He didn't even get nominated. He didn't get nominated for the Thorpe last year, which is yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, because they they put out those lists way too early. No one knows. Ridiculous to me. To me, it's like I'm mean, basically these are upperclassmen awards. Derek Stingley might get nominated next year because he was so good for a freshman. But it's possible he doesn't get nominated until he's a junior because that's kind of how Patrick Peterson didn't win until he was a junior uh, when he won the Thorpe. But these awards go, go to upperclassmen and, you know, they focus on juniors or seniors. And Delpit last year was a sophomore and this year he was a junior and he won it based off basically last year. Well, last year he didn't win it because as a freshman, he wasn't a big name. Yeah, if you're not on the watch list, you can't win it. And he wasn't on the watch list. Yeah, dumbest thing ever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's should he want it this year? No, but should have won last year. So like, I'm gonna. I do think he had it. I do think he was really good this year. Like I, th- I think we because he wasn't last year's good, and because he had that one horrible game against Ole Miss, I think it kind of like clouds the perception that he was like. Yeah, I don't good. think he was bad by any sense. We're just talking levels of great. I mean, that's just how good the rest of the LSU secondary is when I say he's third or fourth. I mean, Stingley and Fulton were amazing this year. And I think Jacoby Stevens was our best I mean, defensive yeah, player. Yeah, he was yeah. <laughs> Like, so it's it's hard to find a place for him. Like, But, yes, I do know what you're saying. It's not like he had a bad year. It, we make it sound like, oh, yeah, we had that's, a yeah, terrible year, and that's not true. Yeah, I think there's some feeling the way it's being described. Like, Delpit, oh, my God, he was bad. Like, no, no, like, he was still really good. But, yeah, I mean, this year, I, I don't think he was. I mean, well, I think Stingley was the best defensive back in the country. I mean, he's never going to win the award because he's a freshman. But if you ask me, was there a better defensive back in college open? There's only no, I really don't think so. Yeah, it's a ridiculously loaded group. Uh, it, 
it, we're going to look was, back. Yeah. yeah, like we look back, like 2011 had a great, I mean, sorry, 2010 had a great defensive backfield. Well, so did 2011. But this, I think, even puts that one to shame. Well, not to shame, but I think when we look back on this, this is going to be the best defensive backfield LSU has ever had. And that is really saying something. And remember, Todd Harris was supposed to start and got hurt in the first game. Stingley's going to be a consensus first-team All-American as a freshman. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, the, the, AP, the AP one came out. The AP one came out. He was the only freshman. Like, at first, second, third, he was the only freshman on any of the teams. And he was first. You don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but it's like... How, like he, there's never been a three-time first-team All-American in LSU history, or consensus. Like there have been like, oh, three-time like, All-American. Uh, there's Tommy Casanova who was gonna. Tommy Casanova was named to one team you know, as, yeah. as as a as he was named to like um, by one, but as consensus, like named to the majority. That's never happened. There's been a couple who did it like two times. There's never been three, and <laughs> he's already this good. <laughs> he doesn't get hurt or anything, but it, it's. He, he could do it. He really could be an All-American all three years, which is yeah wild to think about. Uh, All-American for three years and zero years on the uh, SEC first team. That, that would be incredible. Yeah, that's just great. And also, like, if you look at, like, he's not going to put up these numbers next year because they're not going to throw at him as much. But he is second in the country in total passes defended with 21, and he's first among power five defensive backs. He is fifth in the country in interceptions with six and he's third in the country. And that makes him third of amongst power five defensive backs. He's, and also the guys who had more interceptions with him, it's basically like they turned all of their pass breakups into interceptions. Like Antoine Winfield, who had a great year from Minnesota. And I don't want to say that he's a bad defensive back because he's not, he's great. He had seven interceptions. He had just one PBU. Derek Stingley had six interceptions. He had 15 PBUs. I mean, that's absurd. I mean, and people did avoid him, too. I feel like, I feel like Georgia targeted him like 20 times. <laughs> like, before that, like there was a big stretch of the season where people actually were not throwing it to him. Um, and then they basically had to because they didn't want to throw it at Fulton either. But like George, like, I think he had like eighty something pass targets. I think twenty of them came in the Georgia game alone. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I know Fulton is amazing, but it's like I mean, throwing twenty times to Derek Slingley is a decision you could make. <laughs> yeah, and he only had one pass breakup in that game. So, of course, well, he also I mean, had two picks. And honestly, like he started the beginning of the year with such bad interception luck that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he really had, and in, in yeah, another universe, four, he has right? eleven picks this year. I think that's very true. Uh, that, that's kind of my point. If you have the reason the, the people ahead of him in interceptions only had interceptions because they had better interception luck. They yeah. didn't have many pass breakups. They basically converted any time they touched the football, it turned into an interception, and that that's something that's that's like fumble luck. The skill is getting to the ball. Whether you turn into an interception tends to be kind of fluky, and no one gets to the ball better than Derek Stingley. No, he's he's like he's like the Terminator. Like he's a defensive back version of the Terminator. It's his form and everything is on that, on that interception from the first one. 
I'm the second one too, honestly. But it's he does everything perfectly. It's honestly truly ridiculous to watch. I mean, I mean, he's better than like he's way ahead of like all the other great ones as a freshman for sure. But he's on their level that they were as juniors as a freshman. He, he's just as good as Peterson was as a junior or as yeah. It's it's amazing. You know, like he's. It's amazing that he's living up to the hype. Just as good. He's being told we were told he was the best recruit ever, and he's immediately lived up to it. He's lived up to it so much that right now we're talking about who won the awards. You know, we're talking about Delpit, the Blitnikoff with Chase, and we're not even talking about them. We're talking about a guy who didn't win anything. Well, I mean, he's giving it all American, but this is the, we're talking about the guy who didn't win the award, and that's how great Derek Stingley is. We, we're we're blessed to have him for another two years. Honestly, he should. And like NFL people have said this, like if he if he could if he could be draft eligible, he'd be the first draft. He'd be the first defensive back taken. Yeah, I think that's fair. He's yeah, eighteen that's... years old. It's, it's he really shouldn't be allowed to play college football anymore. Like that dude could that dude could go to the league now. Like, hey, if the XFL wants to make a splash, that's a guy they could go after. Yeah, him and Trevor Lawrence. That's your yeah. That's that's. I think I, I've never seen a guy with that much. You know, I, I really like two years ago. Oh, sorry, two years ago. Well, the past two years with um, with Greedy, I thought his ball skills were great. He just had a great way of finding the football. And then Stingley came in as a freshman and even better ball skills. He just find, he, he tracks it and he finds it late. You know, a lot of these, you know, the, the Georgia interception, the Auburn interception, he's turning his head late. You know, after he he first he finds the receiver with his body with his hands, and then he's turning his head late to find the ball, and he still makes a play on it. Uh, it's just it's special, and he he's obviously unbelievably athletic and talented. Hopefully, he returns a punt next year. That would be nice, or maybe in the playoffs that'd be nice if he had some room to return something. Uh, yeah, because I think that, that was... would take him over the top, which would be I mean. And if Stingley returned a punt in a playoff game, I I would just fall over and die. That'd be it. I'd seen everything at that point. I mean, he definitely what, became more what, cautious of a return as the season went on. Yeah. You know, he, he got the jitters. He fumbled the one return and then like never was the same guy. Uh, I think we might be done seeing him as a punt returner. Well, I mean, the way they talk on Danielson brings up every time. Apparently he's going to play offense. Yeah, they apparently they promised them. Yeah, yeah, they promised to be playoffs. Which I mean, you watch him close, like yeah, that looks like a wide receiver. It, it and he's a ridiculous athlete. That do I mean if, if if he's the way the athlete he is. I mean, the Dory Jackson did it, and he was and for USC, and he was fantastic. Yeah. Um, he caught. I mean, he had like three hundred plus, like four hundred receiving yards um, in addition to playing DB. So yeah, why not? But we would be remiss, speaking of offense, we'd be remiss not to mention the other award winner, Jamar Chase, who was just awesome this year. Do you find, and maybe I'm alone in this, but he never looks like he's doing anything out there. He's kind of got a weird gait, I find. Uh, he's not as like, you know, he's not, he's not Odell, right, who, who's a sprinter. And he's not even, you know, Jarvis, who was this, like, very crisp route runner. He's kind of weird looking. 
and then he had 1,600 yards receiving. Like, it's it, even when I watch him now, it's like kind of weird, but he just got open every damn time. Yeah, I just, I remember, you know, when you watch him live, which is because on TV, it's, you know, you just see the end. He's got good ball skills. He can high point a football and all that. But when you see him live, it's just like, this man's open on every play. They cannot cover him. I don't know what it is. And you're right. It's not like he's the best route runner I've ever seen in my life. You know, and and he's not the freakish athlete that Odell was. It's just He's open on every play, and in the plays he's not open, he makes the catch anyway. Yeah, you you watch I mean, replays of him, and obviously part of it's the way the camera works and when they cover football games. So he's just kind of like there, and so it's always great to, especially when they use like the sky cam replays. I like I like those. I know Seth does too. It's fascinating to watch because, like you said, he's not like the kind of wide receiver we we've come to expect i guess from lsu just he's there and there's the ball going into his hands yeah i think and speaking of his hands i mean he catches everything he's just his hands are absolutely fantastic and i posted on on twitter the the corner route that he caught against texas he doesn't see the ball until it's almost in his hands because he's he's hidden by the defensive back and then he still just puts his hands out there and snags it and it reminded me of all the stuff that we heard during the offseason about how they were using all this kind of quote-unquote new technology uh, where they were putting like these kind of like blinders on the kids, on the receivers, and they were still trying to catch balls with their hands and trying to locate the footballs while they couldn't kind of, they kind of half see or, or three-quarters see or whatever it was. And then it really showed up because he just caught everything with his hands. He knew where the ball was. He was able to track it beautifully when the ball was in the air. And, and you know, again, that leads to 70 catches and 1,600 receiving yards and almost 20 touchdowns. Yeah, he catches touchdowns. I mean, it's, it's – I don't – I feel like that's the easiest word. Like, the, the Mississippi-Arkansas and A&M games are great examples. He had 21 catches and seven of them were touchdowns. It's just it's like he ever just twenty yards a catch. I mean, it's like he he just goes down the field and gets open and catches it. And I don't, not at times is he like super open, but it's he's open enough to catch it every time. Yeah, I think what it is is that generalists tend to be underrated. You've never really like defended him well enough. I like generalists tend to be underrated, like. If you're really, really fast, everyone's like, oh, that guy's really fast. Or if you have incredible hands, you're like, oh, that guy has incredible hands kind of thing. Jamar Chase doesn't have the best hands. He's not the fastest. He's not the best athlete I've ever seen. But he's plus in all of those categories. And it all adds up that he has no weaknesses. And he's just good. He, he is good at everything. And that's what makes him great, the fact that he can do really anything on the field. And I think the one thing he's great at is vision. The guy just knows where to be. Yeah. And he, he's, he's got something he after the catch, too. Yeah, you can't tackle him. That's big. Yeah. Like, he is really, like, impossible to bring down. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's not that, like, all of his yards are, like, yak. Because, I mean, he has a few. Like, Ole Miss game, the Vandy game. He had, like, a few with yeah. Brooks and big ones. But, yeah, this dude is – he breaks a lot of tackles. Yeah, he, he, he reminds me – I just thought of this, and I could be totally off, but he reminds me of like the receiver version of Geis, in that Geis kind of broke tackles in a weird way that we 
you're like, did he? How did he do that? Yeah, like yeah, it I didn't make that. sense. Like Fournette just bowled people, right? But guys kind of broke tackles, and he was kind of off balance, and he and he got unbalanced, and this, and maybe Chase is kind of the same way as a receiver after the catch. He's got a big frame. He's like six one, two hundred. Like he's a big dude. I mean, not like in like not like huge, but he's just it's he's imposing. I think like the the Bama game where he just bullied Trayvon Diggs, um, and Diggs only the recourse was just a foul. But it's like he's so like imposing when he goes up the cat or he's like catches something in traffic. It's like you can never quite get in front of him or get around him. It's sort of like a power forward opposed to up. He really can't. It's just there's no real way to win a matchup unless you like double, in which case they'll just throw it to someone else. Yeah, and that's kind of where the offense is going right now. It's like they don't get these chances so much. I mean, we'll see. I heard um, – I haven't done a lot of research yet, but I heard that Oklahoma plays a lot of man coverage. So if they're going to play man coverage with one safety, then they're going to – LSU is going to take their chances with, with yeah, Chase good, one one. Good luck. But like, I, no, one's, yeah. no one's been able to do that. And the thing is, so they're just saying – what it feels like is they're like, okay, the second you see one safety – you're throwing the ball to chase like that's it that's all because we're not going to get these chances very often so you see it you're throwing it one-on-one contested it doesn't matter we're gonna he's gonna go up and he's gonna jump ball and he's gonna make a play because early in the season we saw a lot more of that of him going up and making plays and mossing people thinking about the texas one yeah but then we haven't seen that because like well no team is dumb enough to just like single covered Jamar Chase, right? And then, yeah, because then if you only have one safety, you're like, okay, well, we're going to double cover Chase. You know, we, we've got, we'll, you know, we'll ban him, and then we'll have our one safety, sh- you know, shade him. We're going to double cover him. Well, then Jefferson's going to kill you. Or yeah. Terrace Marshall. You cannot play man against this against these receivers. It is suicide unless you have, I don't know, like maybe Florida's defensive backs. I'm, I'm trying yeah, to think. I, I, I mean, I mean, you need to have NFL corners. Well, that's. I think the the interesting thing would be if we if we end up playing Ohio State, right? They have they, they do have what, if they could match up to us that way. Yeah, Ohio State might be able to do it. I, I think that's a very fair statement. But yeah, we're. I just don't think there's. I don't think there's. I mean, I, 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 to me, it's like felt like from the beginning of the year, where when like everyone, it was the whole like discussion was like. All right, well, someone's got to be able to stop them. There's there's ways to stop them. They're going to appear. And it's like, there, there's really not. Like, like the blueprint that people have found, I use that in quotation marks, is what George and Auburn do. It's like, we'll play seven defensive backs. Like, okay, yeah, we'll put 500 yards of offense up on you. Yeah, that, that is the way to do it, is you have to play, you have to drop everybody in the coverage, and then Clyde edwards Lair just eat you alive. Yeah, I mean, even, even Georgia tried to stop. Like they made like the whole game plan was like to drop seven and try and stop Edward Gieler. It's like okay, well, that still didn't really work. Yeah, and they have you know J.R. Reed, one of the best. You know, yeah, it's it's no, guys, the only thing the only thing you can do is you got to tackle Burrow. That's the it's the only way. He but he's shown him. that he, he has to sack him. Like, yeah, exactly. You got to get to him before he's able to start moving, and then someone will get open down the field. Because if you blitz. <sighs> You're dead. If you play mm-hmm. just a regular four-man rush, he kind of kills you too. And then so teams start dropping dropping eight. Like you said, playing a lot of DBs on the field and then just rushing three or sometimes three in a spy. And I think this is where he won the Heisman is because he just he, he didn't. He can wait you. 
he can outweigh you. That's, and, that's the difference. Because a lot of guys will say, and I, we've been talking about this for like a month now, but a lot of guys will just still throw in rhythm and yeah. the touchdown pass. So this is why I put the first Georgia touchdown pass in my Heisman moments uh, that I wrote uh, last week instead of the second you know, long pass to Jefferson. Because it's kind of the same thing where he's kind of buying timer in the pocket, though the difference in the second one is that he just makes such an instinctive play to make the same guy miss twice. But in the first one, he really could throw the flat route right away to Clyde. And Clyde, you know, maybe turns up field and he's got kind of leverage, maybe turns up field and gets eight yards or whatever. Uh, Who knows? But he's like, you know, I'm good enough that if you're just going to rush three and I got five protecting, I can make a guy miss and then buy myself another five seconds and, and then make another guy miss and buy myself more time. And then I can create the big play down the field. And that's been the biggest difference in this whole second half of the season since the Auburn game is that he's just being so patient, waiting. he's waiting teams out. And when they give him an opportunity down the field, um, I'm thinking about Marshall caught a nice, you know, whatever, 12, 14-yard in-breaking route. If he has it, he'll throw it. Like, that's not – he'll still throw you the ball if it's, uh, you know, a down-the-field route. And then there's the chase post-touchdown against Texas A&M where they double-covered chase and he just ran by the safety on a post route. Well, he, he's still going to throw it. Like, he'll still throw the ball in rhythm when it's down the field and when he can make a big play. But he's not going to just sit there and take a five-yard gain when he knows he's not going to get sacked. And, and it's been incredible. There's really nothing to add to that. He, he's, he is incredible. That's it. He's just yeah. been incredible. We've been saying it the whole year. He's amazing. And with that, we go to questions. <laughs> okay. At Hilliard24 wants to know, what is your favorite catch by Jamar this year or last? So um, you know, I'll go back to the to the one that I just talked about, just because it's fresh in my mind. They run their kind of corner route from a so he's the he's a single receiver to that side, and they have Clyde as a running back, and he's split to that side to the boundary side. But what they do, what LSU's done, and I took this from the Saints, is they cut. He's not like a, in a regular wide receiver x receiver split to the to the weak side of the field they kind of condense the split and he's really close to the tackle and what 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 that does is allows him room to the sideline so that you can be the the single receiver and still run a corner route now there are ways to do it from a wide split but to keep it simple like you can now run a corner route if you're lined up near a hash mark so he runs his corner route. it's man coverage i think he's on chris boyd who's you know texas best corner Beats him clean, gets on top of him, doesn't even make a move to, at the top of his route to kind of shake him. He just goes straight to the corner. Boyd plays it pretty well. Burrow throws the ball to the side. And like I said, he doesn't see the ball because Boyd is there, but he finds pieces of it to track it. And then right before he gets to the sideline, he just sticks those hands out and gets the two feet in. It's, it's really incredible. Jake? Digs, like when he posts him up and great catch and then the touchdown but it's just like lsu just hadn't made that play against alabama like in ever and like seeing it happen on the first drive just bang one shot 
to the end zone for a touchdown the first drive. It, it set the tone for the entire game. I was like, oh wow, okay, we can we can do this on them too. Like this, like we're gonna be able to do this on you know the one team who we didn't know if we could do it against, and they did, and then they scored. That would be mine. Yeah, I, that was the one I was gonna go with. It, it's scoring over digs. It, it just we haven't we've had guys who could do it, but they just didn't do it against Bama. And it was just such a psychological relief. It's like, oh, he's still Jamar Chase in this game. And I think that was the moment you're like, okay, it's all going to be okay. And um, it's weird. I, the Bama game didn't make me that nervous throughout. And part of it was because he, he made big catches early in the game and got us out to, I mean, not a, a huge lead, but like you could tell he was – it wasn't like he became a diminished version of himself, which is what happened so many times to LSU players against Bama. Vinnie Bartles wants to know if you could retroactively pick any non LSU game from this season to see in person, which would it be? And he gave up, you know, his personal three choices were the iron ball, uh, wazoo UCLA or Tulane Houston. That Tulane Houston game was crazy. I honestly, I, I think I would have wanted to see one of the uh, the crazy SMU finishes when they were on a roll early in the year. Right. Uh, um, uh, maybe just because it's a big rivalry game and it's local, the, the battle for the Iron Skillet, mm. the SMU-TCU game, uh, there's something about little brother beating big brother. Yeah. That's just a really cool thing to see. Like, it, it's just, it's it, that's not quite Tulane beating LSU, but it's, kind of the same it's at least adjacent to it smu was not supposed to beat tcu and when they did it 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 made all things seem possible and those are cool games to go to so i I choose that ucla wazoo was that game (laughs) maybe the greatest comeback like ever ucla was done like 30 something point in like late third quarter early fourth quarter and one yeah i mean that that game was ridiculous uh, the other one I go with, like, the South Carolina-Georgia game was, like, truly the dumbest football game I've ever seen in my life in, in every <laughs> conceivable way. And I th- think I would want to go with that one, just, like, experience it. Because it's, like, just both head coaches trying to out-dumb each other. I mean, just that game was so um, yeah. Illinois being Wisconsin, like, that was that was pretty cool. So Illinois was, like, a 30-point or so and one, I think. And they were down in that one, too, I think. Yeah, yeah, and they can't. They won a, won a last second too. So, yeah, that was pretty. Cool. I mean, I, I, I'm just gonna say the Iron Bowl because that was a wild game, and it. I guess I've just always wanted to go see the Iron Bowl. So, I, the Iron Bowl plus a wild game, I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah, definitely. Brad Falk asks, "What's your favorite sub story you heard around the Heisman?" Mine was Orgeron having to tell his wife Burrow had decided to do his recruiting visit on the one weekend they had a family trip planned. And Kelly's response was, if we miss this trip, this dude better win the Heisman. <laughs> um, I liked it afterwards, you know, how he mentioned the poverty of where he grew up in Ohio. And now it's they've raised 
I think five hundred thousand dollars to the um, Athens Ohio Food Bank. Something like that. Last time I looked, it was over four hundred. So it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if, if it's hit half a million. I, I think that's awesome. I just think that's, yeah, that's a really cool. cool, spontaneous thing. He wasn't. He didn't say, "Hey, donate to my charity." He, you know, he just mentioned. He came from a place where people don't have a lot, and fans from all over the country responded. I think that's just a great organic moment. I I mean, I, I'll give two. I mean, one of them is the the, the crawfish thing at the restaurant. <laughs> I mean, that's just <laughs> Coach O just going to any restaurant in the whole world and and <laughs> and get, forcing them to make him crawfish is amazing. <laughs> but I, I really liked I really liked when. When during the speech, when he talked about Coach O, because I think we 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 forget how important you know we talk about scheme all the time. You know, I I, I talk about scheme, and so I talk about scheme and players and technique and this and that. But the guy who puts that whole thing together, who might not be necessarily a quote unquote scheme guy, is so important. And I really thought that him talking about Coach O was really special. And I, you know, I, I, cause I, it made me think about the guys in my life or the coaches in my life that I've been around who are that type of person. So I, I understand how good of a person I think Coach O probably is without knowing him after that speech. Mine personally was him wearing the Fiesta Bowl hoodie all week. That was I, I, I related to that on such a spiritual level as someone who like wears the same hoodie all the time. Like I just relates. And then him wearing that Heisman hoodie that like Jalen Hurts was wearing. Like it probably he just got one of his own. But I'm like choosing to believe that Hurts like left his and Burrow's just like oh wow nice hoodie and picked it up and wore it. Like that, that's that was mine. And he wore that hoodie like and like when they asked him but he's like it's my comfiest hoodie so I wear it. It's like yes yes it is. <laughs> Joe Burrow is very close to a fifty-year-old man. I, I hope he, uh, he really is. I'm just saying his favorite. He probably listens to a lot of Bruce Springsteen. I'm just saying that. Like when they asked, they asked him like what he did like today of the highest. He's like, I took three naps. And it's like my goodness, <laughs> that's living. All right. Finally, Vinnie Bartles asks, "Who's on your Mount Rushmore of sportscaster calls?" And he gives his four examples. Do you believe in miracles? The Giants win the pennant. Down goes Frazier. And the band is on the field. Uh, Do you believe in miracles has to be on there? I mean, that's the call. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it named the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, is so perfect. I love the and we'll see you tomorrow night. The uh, Joe Buck call. I'm sorry, Jack Buck of uh, the Minnesota Twins, you know, hitting the hitting the home run in the World Series. And as it's going over the fence, you know, we'll see you tomorrow night is such a great call. And also just because Vin Scully is Vin Scully and is the greatest broadcaster ever, his uh, his call of Kirk Gibson's home run is Kirk Gibson's home run is iconic, even just on its own. But him letting it breathe a little bit, I think there's a lot of silence in there. But then he just says, I don't believe what I just saw is so Vince Gully. I I love everything about that call. And let's, you know, it's funny. I've gone three times to baseball already. I mean, I don't know who does it, 
I can't remember who calls it, but Down Goes Tyson is really good. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I can't remember who does it because I, 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 I'm not sure. Yeah, because like I can't think of like because it's not it's not I don't believe it's Howard Cosell and it's not like Jim Lampley, so I don't know who like does that one, but that one's pretty iconic, obviously. Yeah, I'm like I'm, yeah, the Bama's on the field is you know probably the great football call. Just because it's so crazy. I mean, but uh, Burns called all of the the kick sixes uh, an answered prayer. Yeah, that's. I, I think what I would go is the um, the Jackie Smith. He has to be the sickest man in America. <laughs> that's a good one too. Yeah. And, and, and also, Vern Lundquist. It's it's it, it made it human. Yeah, I think just calling Vern, him out. It's like he, at the exact moment, it's like that guy feels worse than you do. Uh, I, I think that I, I like that call, and it's also spontaneous. It's not planned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a good one. A, a good one. I have two, but so an older one is the Kentucky Duke Christian Leitner shot. But I think the one that you hear a lot from the radio, rather than I want to say Nance or Vern, who does the uh, the CBS one, where he you know comes down, dribbles, shoots, and then there's that pause where the the shoots, and then the scores. But the one that's kind of recent that I absolutely love, and honestly, it might be my favorite now, is Michigan, Michigan State. There's a tr- there's a problem with the snap. I mean, like, Sean, I think Sean McDonough yeah. is the best co- uh, play-by-play guy doing any sport right now. And honestly, if ABC finds a way to get the SEC going forward, and we got more Sean McDonough doing LSU, that would be fantastic. But yeah, him him doing the Michigan State um, bobble and the block punt is is unbelievable. Yeah, he's great. Uh, that's that's another really good call. He could, he's very unobtrusive, but he sounds authoritative. And I feel bad that I don't have a Keith a particular Keith Jackson call. He's just Keith Jackson. Trumbo. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, he would say things like that, but it's just like he didn't. I can't think of like a particular the, the one, call. The, the Vince the, the Vince Young one in the Rose Bowl. It's it's very it's like fourth and five national championship on the line, and as he's headed for the corner, he's got it. Like that one's really good. Yeah, it was and, game. and but I was at a party with a bunch of Texas fans. I didn't hear the call. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like we were, we were all just going crazy. Like so, I mean, go, going back to Vern the the Jack the one of the Jack Nichols put at the Masters. Oh, that's a great one. That, that one's yeah. that one's that one's pretty classic. Sam, so, yeah, I. I it's hard to do a a good call is hard because it has to be spontaneous yet timeless at the same time. And you make it sound like it's easy, but it's really not. Here's a here's a relatively obscure one, but there's a couple of Spanish calls. This is I <laughs> who cares about this, but there's a couple of Spanish calls of Barcelona beating Chelsea and I want to say 2009 in the Champions League semifinal with Iniesta incredible goal by Iniesta in the 90th minute that is, if you go look it up on YouTube it is fantastic there's a uh, speaking of uh, Spanish speaking uh, calls it's not Spain but there was one what was it when Honduras made the, the World Cup someone made the World Cup in CONCACAF by watching someone else's game and they got that result they needed, and their announcers just go crazy. It's uh, I, I forget who it was, but it's an amazing call. But yeah, it's the same. It's basically two guys just drunk in the booth, and I'm a big fan of that kind of call. 
Like Andre Cantor just, I mean, like, like it became a parody, just screaming goal for like two minutes on end. But it really is just like awesome. Like it's it, it genuinely rules. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, uh, um, the two guys who announced the uh, Texas high school football game. Oh yeah, that's um, a classic. Oh my god, they're amazing. Um, if you've never seen it, um, I have no idea who played the game, but I know I've heard this call. I can't quote it, but they were if when he just goes, "I think I'm gonna be sick." It's just yeah, so perfect. It, it. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> so we have we have a bunch of options for Mount Rushmore. We can work through that, but uh, um, at the end of the day, you you want to have like, there's, one I'm th- there's one I'm thinking of now. It's like it's like I can't believe he just did that. Like I, I, I'm totally missing on like, oh, it's it's the the Vikings like one against the Saints, the far of interception. It's like I can't oh, believe. Oh yeah, the 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 Vikings guy. Yeah, yeah. This is something like this ain't the yeah. This is the Super Bowl, something like that. Yeah. So good one. That one's hilarious. But soon to be replaced, the greatest call of all time is going to be. In you know about a month when LSU wins its national title, that's going to be the greatest radio call of all time. <laughs> <laughs>